we'd like to welcome you back to part 7 of our study on the D-Wave quantum computers, CERN, the particle collider, and the Mandela effect. Now, I just actually, I've been kind of editing this as I go along, and I finally got all the material edited. I'm on page 10, i got to go to page 24 of of, I've got it down to about a 32 page because I tried to eliminate the redundancy and I went in there and kind of tightened everything up and, you know, took away blank lines and stuff like that. So it looks like when it's all said and done, it's going to be a 32 page PDF. At the very end, when I get to page 24, I'm going to stop because I feel like at that point we've got enough info on this. And um, there's a lot of other material in there. Some of it's more redundant. Some of it you'll see my listener comments. Some of it is of that nature. So uh, if you want to research it further, you can do that. So the next topic, because I'm going to cover, I'm trying to cover like at least one point of the Mandela effect. And this is something I haven't really covered where a lot of people remember Billy Graham's funeral being on TV. Now this is before he died this year. <laughs> There's... This is one of those ones where people have a stronger feeling about this than they do about the whole Nelson Mandela death, which is what the Mandela effect is named after. A lot of people, particularly Christians, this resonates much higher, so I kind of wanted to cover this. Here's a uh, picture of Billy Graham in 1966 preaching um, in the PDF. Anyway, many people, including me, remember Billy Graham's funeral on TV prior to his February 2018 death which just happened this year. My own memories place Graham's death close to within weeks, possibly a month or two, at the very most, to the time when Ken, Ted Kennedy died. I remember that the weather was warm in New England. At the time, I didn't think Billy Graham's funeral was especially odd. I didn't watch much of the funeral and burial coverage, but I can remember flipping through TV channels and seeing most networks carrying the event. I just remember thinking at Ted Kennedy's funeral, wow, we just had lots of shows preempted by Billy Graham's funeral. I guess that kind of coverage has become standard. I clearly remember the funeral and related TV coverage for several days. Apparently this, quote, memory is prevalent, perhaps more prevalent than even the Nelson Mandela one, and I would imagine much more so with Christians for obvious reasons. It's just going to resonate a lot higher. I've actually argued with a friend because she was 100% certain that Billy Graham had died. I don't... I don't know why she'd be arguing with him about that because he had remembered her dying too. Anyway, she too remembered the funeral on TV. It took Wikipedia to prove that we both had odd, completely identical memories. Maybe he was trying to reason with her. No, he actually hasn't died, even though I have the same memory. Maybe that was the argument. I don't know. Um, it took Wikipedia to prove that we both had odd, completely identical memories that never happened. Not in, this main, not in this time stream anyway. Many readers have their own memories of Billy Graham's death, funeral, and burial. Most like, mo mostly they recall the TV coverage. And like me, most are entirely certain that they aren't mixing it up with Billy Graham's wife's funeral, which had some coverage on TV shows. Ruth Graham died in 2007. Ted Kennedy passed in 2009. That's not close enough for me to connect them to my memories, meaning overlapping. So basically what it does here is it just lists a whole bunch of people that chimed in on this i'm pretty sure i don't know I, I would assume a lot of them are christians um where they're just giving their accounts and once one lady marina erich said wait wait billy graham is alive since when i remember his death but not his coming back now remember when this article was originally written it wasn't it was written before even though i put in i inserted the february 2018 death of billy graham this article was written before he died again Okay, so these people, when they're commenting, I mean, they're commenting from like 2012 when he was supposedly still alive, even though they, they had seen him die. Most of them, I believe it was 2009, around Ted Kennedy's death. Some had said that he had died way, way, way before that. Okay, so, you know, listen, I can't explain all this stuff. It's like the Bible says we see through a glass, but darkly. This whole end time deception delusion, I don't think we're going to understand every nuance of it. Uh, but some of these may be real hot buttons for a lot of people saying, you know, wow, that really rings true. That really is a hot button. I can relate to that. That's why I'm trying to cover a broad range of issues when we're dealing with Mandela. 
because certain things might not resonate with you and certain things may just be like red alert <laughs> alarms for for different people <coughs> excuse me so another person jeff said in march 2012 so billy graham didn't die i distinctly remember hearing about his death i really can't be sure about mandela though i did think he was dead meaning nelson mandela um I remember hearing about Ernest Borgnine dying, but apparently he's still alive. In a later comment, thinking about it some more, I distinctly remember seeing Billy Graham's funeral procession on TV, which is a very big memory. Bob said, Billy Graham is dead, yes? If not, please provide a link. I remember him passing about a year or two ago, as does my wife. Terry said, my mom and I also remember Mandela dying in prison, as well as Billy Graham dying soon after retiring. Um... Uh, just last month a guy uh joe said then he said just last month i had a discussion with a friend i swore billy graham died i watched his funeral on tv so many people in tears and the sadness of such a great man <laughs> okay uh being laid to rest it just came billy graham in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com i've done a whole study on him how he was yoked up with the catholicism and how he I mean ugh, a lot of bad bad stuff uh and being honored by the president and even bill clinton speaking words in his honor remember the bible says that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of god so that by itself would make you want to biblically examine the fruits of billy graham much closer because you've got all these secular devils like bill clinton and all these former presidents praising and honoring him which is the gigantic red flag because they only honor their own he was a 33rd degree freemason as well and you can't bow the knee to god and the knee to Baal. he was a 33rd degree freemason um, even in my file I have on Billy Graham, I, I have a, a picture of the, um, before they took it down, the mirror, the mirror picture site of, and I mean mirror, like a, you look at a mirror, because they mirrored the site of his, um, admittance into the, I believe it was the Louisiana Hall of Fame of Freemasons, before they took it down, because that wasn't something they wanted people knowing, for obvious reasons, uh, for at least Christians knowing and then he goes on to say i remember bill clinton speaking words of his honor my friend said i was crazy i asked my mother and she remembers us talking about his passing i just don't know what to think i was driving down um taylor reminded me she said yeah she said he's been dead she says i remember us going to Asheville after we'd moved up here and on the way to Asheville, if you're going west on i-40 it has all this advertisement before you get to Asheville about the cove which is some kind of guess it's his church or some kind of retreat thing for christians and the billy graham and i said something to her about billy graham being dead and she distinctly remembers me telling her that on the ride there and this was i don't know how many years ago i mean it had to be after 2010 because that's when we moved up here but she distinctly remembered that uh, i i mean i distinctly re remember him being dead but you know Another lady said, Elaine said, I thought Billy Graham was gone for sure, seeming to recall something with his son speaking, I guess at the funeral. Uh, another comment read, I can clearly remember the death of Billy Graham and watching an interview of his widow talking about the events of his life, his evangelism, how the two met, etc. with my grandma and talking about what a shame it was that such a good man died. Now remember, this report was written well, well before his death this year. This was written years before that. So these comments are well before his death of this year. The only reason I remember it is because Graham, the Grahams lived close to where I was born grew and grew up, and at the time I thought it was cool that a local family was on television. Uh, and a person named Chris said, I am certain that Billy Graham had died. I was only talking about him the other day. I remember seeing parts of the funeral on TV and in the papers in the UK Times, if I remember rightly. It was a big deal to the evangelicals in the States. And definitely remember there were a lot of people mourning him. I felt like it was, it felt like more of the funeral of a monarch, like a state funeral. There was a white sheet over his coffin with a gold eagle on it. That's how much he remembers this. And he was watching this, I believe, from the UK. Um, or certainly some gold symbol as it was carried by the pallbearers. A lady named Kat Smith said, Billy Graham's death puzzled me, puzzles me. I remember it occurring a few months before Ronald Reagan's death. 
My mother and I sat at our little 13-inch monitor in the kitchen with flashes on the bottom of the screen about Billy Graham's death. In attendance was George Bush Sr. And to the left, uh, Bill Clinton. To the right, in the blue-covered chairs. The casket was draped in a white cloth and was paraded in front of the former presidents. It was carried up the aisle. I remember his son, widow, and Bill Clinton speaking. It was held outdoors in North Carolina. That day was very vivid. My mother remembers it well. Uh, then a, a man named Joe said, I also remember very clearly when Billy Graham died. In fact, I remember reading all the news articles on CNN and MSNBC about his death while I was at work. I also remember after work seeing CBS News running stories about his death. I only learned recently on a thread about uh, thread on GLP that Billy Graham is alive. At first I said, no way in heck is that possible because I saw the news both in print and on TV. I looked it up in Wikipedia and sure enough, he's still alive. I don't get how that happens. It makes no sense. So there was there was way more comments than that. I just wanted you to understand that that's another Mandela thing that a lot of people experienced. Uh, now, we're going to go more back into the Bible now. And, and I think most of what we're going to cover here from, from now, which is page 12 of the PDF up until page 24, is all going to be Bible stuff. Now, I know I've, I've touched on it already, but we're going we're gonna to really zero in on that. This is, the, this is one of those that really, like, was when I saw this, it was like getting hit with a shovel upside the head when I saw this one on the Mandela. Now, here's the thing. If you were a new Christian, or you're a Christian listening to me, and you never read the KJV, or you're a baby Christian, or you're, you're a Christian that hasn't been in the Word very long, these things aren't going to be as impactful on you. Because you don't have the time in the Word and particularly in the KJV, for this to really have an impact. You, you may look at this and, and say, well, you know, none of this is really a big deal. The cultural changes may have impacted you a lot more. That's why I'm trying to do a broad spectrum of changes, because it really depends on the person, where they're at, how long they've been in the Bible, what Bible they've been reading, how old they are, where they live, where they're... I mean, there's so many factors here at play that are going to... Um, determine how this impacts you this one really got me personally and a lot of my other listeners who actually uh had emailed me about this and i i researched it and you know it was just mind-blowing uh the supernatural attack on on the scriptures can clearly be seen in altered verses such as mark 223 the now they're calling it the anti-quantum effect and i don't know if they're in reference to the quantum computers the anti-quantum effect defenders have been hard at work explaining away the use of the word corn instead of the, instead of the word grain in the Bible. Now, meaning the people that are against the Mandela effect have been hard at work explaining away the, word, the use of the word corn instead of the grain. Man, they have, they have a task that's impossible. Because there's no way you can go through all of the things I've, I've given you up until now. We're in the seventh part of the teaching. And explain them away. And I could make this a 50-parter if I wanted to devote my whole life to it. But, you know, hopefully by now you've gotten the gist of this. And, and again, I'm not even close to being done. Let us say that in the early 1600s, the scholars who compiled and constructed the King James Bible did use the word corn instead of grain. Corn was used in over a hundred verses in both the Old and the New Testaments. So what's the problem with this? We know that corn or maize, which is like the Indian way of saying corn, was originally cultivated in the Americas, meaning, I believe, um, North and South America. Here's what CampSilos.com had to say about the history of corn. Quote, scientists believe people living in central Mexico developed corn at least 7,000 years ago. It was started from a wild grass called Teosinti. Teosinti looked very different from our corn today. The kernels were small and were not placed close together like kernels on the husk ear of modern corn. When Europeans like Columbus... Christopher Columbus, made contact with people living in the North and South America, corn was a major part of the diet of most native people. When Columbus discovered America, he also discovered corn in 1493, uh, which was, you know, 1492, he, he discovered America. 
But up until this time, people living in Europe did not know about corn. Okay, so we have a problem here. Corn is in the Bible like over a hundred times here. And yet we didn't even discover corn until 1493, which is obviously well after the original texts of the Bible were written. So how could it be in the Bible? I chose to quote campsilos.com because they had more concise a more concise narrative than other sources. They gave the, but they gave, gave the same history of corn as the other sources. So there is no problem with the authority or truthfulness of this source. Now, we know that it would have been possible for the human authors of the King James Bible to be fully aware of corn at the at the writing of the let's say the 1611, okay? Um, but the 1611 started they started um they actually started the production of the King James Bible in um, 1604. But it took them seven years to actually fully, you know, get the 1611 authorized King James Version done. Okay, just a little history. Anyway, um, but it would, it would be fully possible for the human authors of the King James Bible to be fully aware of corn. And I'm sure they all were. But they would have surely known that corn was not native to Israel. They would have surely known that Columbus was the one that discovered it in 1492. Uh, these men were scholars of the highest order. I've done whole teachings on that. KJV uh, defended, uh, or King James defended. I, got, I, went, I think on the King James defended, I really went into the 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 underlying uh, scholars that that he that King James authorized to do this work that started in 1604 and went to 1611. So they were scholars of the highest order, went to great lengths to be as accurate textually, historically, geographically, and spiritually as possible. So we have an insurmountable problem with the following verses in the New Testament, not as as well as the old. But let's let's focus on the New Testament first. Matthew 12, 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. And his disciples were and hungered and began to pluck the ears of the corn and to eat. The ears of corn. When I saw that, I was like, what is going on? Ears of corn. It was never ears of corn. Heads of grain is the way that it was remembered by most people. Heads of wheat is also, but it was never ears of corn. Ears of corn? Now I'm going to go I'm really going to go into this one in depth. So I'm not done here. Mark 2:23 and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. What? Luke 6 1. So this is our third witness about the same part of the gospel. It's just a different different book. Matthew, Mark, now Luke. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. Rubbing them in their hands. You're not going to get ears, ears of uh, the kernels of an ear of corn rubbing them in your hands. You're going to have to use your teeth. But if you took the heads of wheat or the heads of grain and rubbed the wheat in your hands, you will, the, the, the heads will come off. So again, that's one more way it doesn't make sense. I'm going to go into a whole bunch of ways it doesn't make sense. Um, this was always remembered by most people who have read their King James Bible as either the heads of grain or heads of wheat. Basically the same thing. Noah Webster, 1828 Dictionary, defines corn as... A single seed of certain plants, as wheat, rye, barley, maize, a grain. Okay, so you're saying, oh, see, there, there you go, there's your explanation. Okay, second definition. In Great Britain, corn is generally applied to wheat, rye, oats, and barley. In the United States, it has the same general sense, but by custom, it is appropriated to maize. But hold on, my comment is, so, in the Webster 1828, the term corn can be used as a way of saying grains, generally applied to wheat rye oats or barley but but this is the big but none of the grains have ears 
like what is stated in the three verses listed above where it talks about the ears of corn not only that that's not the way i ever remembered it being said heads of grain or heads of wheat is the two different ways i i people have remembered it with the, the ears of wheat no that doesn't make any sense it would only be ears of corn because only corn has ears that's how they're referred to ears of corn heads of wheat or grain is the way the opposite and that's the way it was it was the way i always remembered it and i am 100 percent sure about that so even if we go to the noah webster 1828 and and look at that definition it still doesn't the ears of corn part does not line up because there's no such thing as an ear of wheat or an ear of grain here's from a listener this is from a listener who sent me um a picture of her king james bible commentary and it says on uh, regarding the sabbath day and i believe this is regarding matthew 12 verses 1 through 9 the sabbath day the seventh day of the week corresponding and i'm reading literally from a a a picture she took of the commentary of the book itself and you can read it yourself i have it copied and pasted here the seventh day of the week the sabbath day um corresponding to our um oh corresponding to our saturday yeah yeah however in the new testament times it began at sunset on friday and lasted till the following sunset the pharisees had burdened the sabbath with a multitude of detailed observances which were not laid down even in mosaic law correspondingly in this incident they they had in in this instant incident that's stated in matthew 12 verses 1 through 9 the um they had objected to the manner in which jesus's disciples had plucked the grain on the sabbath violating the commandment against reaping on the sacred day of exodus 2010 Okay. So they even say in the commentary that it was violating, that it was, um, they were picking, um, they plucked the grain on the Sabbath. Grain, not ears of corn. So if we go further, the KJV uh, translates this word that, that we, we get corn from in the New Testament three times. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. KJV Strong's G407 in the following manner translates um, that word as it's never translated as grain or wheat. It's translated as either cornfield or corn. Never translated as grain or wheat. This is not affecting just the New Testament. There are plenty of instances of the ears of corn in the Old Testament now. Leviticus 2.14 And if thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits unto the Lord, Thou shalt offer for the meat offering of the first fruit green ears of corn. Which is the way that that would come out. Because if you look at a corn, a, like a, if you've ever, uh, I grew up surrounded by cornfield when I was little, when, before we moved to Florida. From the time I was born until when we moved to Florida in, I don't know, I think 73. And um, I was, our house was literally surrounded on three sides by cornfield we had a highway in front of us not really a highway but a road in front of us and literally we rented this house from the um they owned the second and i think it still is the second privately owned largest privately owned dairy farm in in ohio taylor and i went back to visit them not too long ago and they also had a lot of cornfields and other things they planted in addition to the dairy we lived in this cornfield and if you when the corn stalks came um you would always have the corn corn in wrapped in this green it's like this green wrapping almost around the corn and you'd have to peel it down in order to get to the corn inside i got lost in the cornfield once it was, i think an angel that led me out of it because i could have literally just it was like the corn was like seven feet high and i just went into the cornfield and i came out on the other side it was like a good i don't know quarter half a mile i had to go through to get to the farm and I could have, I could have literally veered into the cornfield, and who knows when they would have ever found me. You know, I mean, I was like wee little. I don't remember it even happening. I was like three or something. <laughs> uh, I did a lot of crazy stuff when I was little, from what I was told. Anyway, 
Um, so thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits green ears of corn dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of full ears. Yet corn was never even indigenous to that reason, region at all. At all. Yet now the Bible has over a hundred spots where it's saying, this is being done to discredit the word of God. And it's the KJV is the primary version that it's being done in. You, then you can have some secular scholars, some see, the King James is so inaccurate. It's listing corn. It's well known that Christopher Columbus didn't even uh, discover corn in the Americas until 1493. Therefore, the King James Bible is a totally inaccurate diver, uh, version and you shouldn't even bother with it. It's all about discrediting the word of God. It's all about what Amos is saying is that they're going to run to and fro seeking the words of God and they're not going to find it. There's going to be a famine for the words of God. That's what this is all about. Isaiah 17.5 And it shall be as when the harvestman gathered the corn and reapeth the ears with his arm. They always talk about the corn and the ears. It never talks about the wheat or the grain in the ears. It's the heads of grain. Okay? So it's always mentioned in that same context in when you talk about corn in the Bible, they always mention the ears. Reapeth the ears with his arm, arms, and it shall be as he that gathereth ears in the valley of the Rephaim, which is the valley of the giants. The, so I guess the, the giants like corn too. That's why they call them corn-fed, because they're big boys. They're corn-fed, you know. Sorry, a little humor there. Okay, and if, if as if the naysayers tell us that the words corn and grain are interchangeable, then how do they explain the ears of corn? These verses used to say heads of grain, not ears of corn. Grain stalks produce heads of grain, not ears of corn. Yeah. Any child from the 1600s would have known that, especially the authors, the advanced scholars of the 1611 King James Bible. It seems the only people who do not know that are the naysayers. Okay, so continuing on, the fact that this error is now in the Bible damages its credibility and reliability to an unbelieving world, which is what I just talked about. It will be used against us. If I had sent, seen these verses when I was an atheist, I would have dismissed the Bible as utter and absolute nonsense. Um, I would have probably never opened a Bible again. There's a Bible, <laughs> I'm not even going to get into this one, but there's a Bible verse in there in the New Testament and the Gospels now where it talks about Jesus says, bring them before me and slay them before me. And there was a literal Christian guy and a Muslim guy debating the other day. He says, he, and the Muslim guy's like, you don't even know your Bible. The, to, the Muslim was saying this to Christian. He says, you guys do the same thing. Your, your Bible teaches the same thing we do where we behead people. It says it right here. Where Jesus said, bring them before me and slay them before me. So, the Muslims now are using their own Bible against us. And I'm not even going to get into that verse because it just, you know, I could, but it's like I've got so much to cover as it is. You can you can clear that clear. Um, I'm sorry. Do a keyword search on YouTube. Bring them before me and slay me Mandela effect. You'll, you'll find it, you know. Now here's a picture of, of one of the very many ways that this is pictured where it shows, unfortunately, it's the false jesus the sananda jesus that i've talked about before the old halo and the long hair and that whole thing we get these images from the catholic church but he's leading his disciples through a wheat field it's clearly wheat a very very old picture depicting this particular scene where they plucked the heads of the wheat on the sabbath and then they were they rebuked jesus afterward because you were not you know you're not supposed to do anything on the sabbath so this is the way that scene is depicted it does they're not walking through a cornfield that's just ridiculous. They didn't even have corn. So, there's many paintings and movie scenes depicting Jesus and the disciples in a field of grain. Okay, so let's go further. This is entitled, Satan has supernaturally changed the words in the Bible by the Mandela effect. Due to, this, due to the satanic Mandela effect or the quantum effect, there are now new ludicrous words out of place and out of time in our Bibles. These mostly affect the King James Version. As we have covered in previous articles, many of these words bring new meaning as well as a corrupt, corrupt the intended message. As it happens, these words in most, but not all cases, mean similar things as the original words they supplanted, but are different enough to render new context and messages. For instance, so I'm just going to start going through these. 
These, this is not exhaustive. This is just a very small, partial list. This is a really weird one. Genesis 31-34. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. So she had some camel's furniture and she sat upon these images she took. And Laban searched all the tent but found them not. That makes no sense whatsoever. The original words were idols in saddle. Okay, so what it should have said is Rachel had taken the idols and put them in the camel's saddle and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent but found them not. The reason that that, that makes no sense is because Laban searched the tent, found them not because she put them in the camel's saddle. He searched the tent. He didn't search the camel's saddle. But this new version said she had taken the images, and they were actually idols, and put them in the camel's furniture. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. And if the camel's furniture was in the tent, which you would expect it to be there, whatever camel's furniture is, Laban would have found them because he searched the tent. But it said he searched the tent and found them not. Why? Because they were in the saddle camel saddle so this one just makes no sense at all now obviously this change this change takes away the concept that laban possessed idols and rachel was trying to hide them idol worship and the possession of idols is prohibited by god ahead i will i will not comment on the mandela effect changes generally i'll let the reader determine what is happening well, I actually interject a lot of things because I think it's necessary. Grammar, pronunciation, or capitalization errors will be in bold. So this is all laid out right for you. I actually enhanced this because I did etymology searches of some of the original words to even make bolster this even stronger. So this is like a compilation of between what this particular author found and what I expounded upon. I will be giving only one example of each word, change, and select verses from the KJV. The reason for limiting the examples is because there are thousands, and I need to keep this article as reader-friendly as possible. See, that was my problem. And, but, I'm beyond that now, and we're finally getting the study done. Please get out your King James Bible to verify the altered words, or double-check these changes for yourself with an online Bible source such as the BibleGateway.com. But these Bible verses are listed here as well. Let us get started with the first Mandela effect. Now I'm going to give you four verses. It's only one verse though that we're going to be concentrating on because I kind of added this one in. 2 Corinthians 11.6 But though I be rude in speech, yet... This is Paul talking. Though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted? Because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. Here's the verse. 2 Corinthians 11.8 I robbed other churches, taking wages of them, to do you service. What? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them, to do you service? Huh? And then in the next verse, he contradicts that by saying in when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. Okay, well, if he had robbed the churches and took wages of them, he would be chargeable to man, God, the whole shebang. He probably would have been struck dead real quick, like Ananias and Sapphira. They were struck dead from just lying about the amount of money they said they had gotten. You know? They weren't even robbing anybody. They just lied about what the money that they had gotten. The total money. So, if this were the case, what he would have done would have been far worse than Ananias and Sapphira. And they were struck dead instantly. But yet Paul somehow escaped that? I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me. The brethren which came from Macedonia supplied... So for that which was lacking to me, the brethren from Macedonia, which came from Macedonia, supplied. So what he did lack, 
the brethren from Macedonia supplied. But he didn't rob the churches or take wages of them. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you. If he had been robbing the churches and taking wages of them, he certainly would have been burdensome to the church. So you could say, well, he was just being sarcastic. I don't know. I, 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 read, I read these verses over and over, and it does not sound like he's being sarcastic. He just is, he, he goes from, have I committed an offense abasing myself that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God freely? Then he says, goes into this, I robbed other churches. It would make more, if he said, if he would said of something like, have I robbed other churches, taken wages of them to do you service? God forbid. Now that would make sense because he would, he would have been asking that question, which was obviously false rhetorically to prove a point but this makes no sense when he says i robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service and then he goes on and contradicts that verse when he says and when i was present with you and wanted i was chargeable to no man okay well again if he robbed other churches he certainly would have been chargeable to man god the whole nine yards for that which was lacking in me to the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you. One, one listener commented about this. My listener said, I don't remember Paul being a robber, but a tent maker. Not being a burden on the church. Hmm, yeah. I try to do my fair share with this ministry where I'm doing the, like the supplements and the nutritional stuff and things of this nature. I give out you know, I've given out thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in free consults over the years. From a doctor, because I'm a doctor, you know, board certified since 2000, and, um, I'm sorry, 1994. I, I graduated in 93, but I got actually my licensing in 94. And I don't ask people for money for that. Now, I get donations and I praise God for that. But I'm also, I'm not just relying on donations in this ministry in order to stay afloat. I couldn't, I couldn't survive just off the donations. But I haven't complained about that. I've just done my other part, answering questions, doing the supplements and things, because it's kind of like what Paul was doing being a tent maker. I'm doing that so that I don't have to go and beg for money all the time. Yes, it's a gigantic workload. It, it more than doubles the amount of workload on the ministry. But it's what's God, it, it's what God, the position God's put me in, and I'm not going to sit here and be unthankful for it. I'm, I am grateful. I'm grateful for the donations. I'm grateful for the prayers. I'm grateful for the supplement orders. I'm grateful for it all. I'm thankful for every bit of it. That's kind of the way Paul was living, it sounds like, to a certain extent, because he was a tent maker, but it says the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied when he was lacking. So even though he was a tent maker, he, didn't, he couldn't always make up the difference. The Bible says that the labor is worthy of the hire, and you know there's all Bible verses about clergy getting compensation for their work in the Lord. I mean, the Levitical priesthood got compensated, and I understand you can say, yeah, well, that was just for the temple. Yeah, but they were also compensated as well. It's not like they were they were living some life of total poverty. So I, I don't know. Just that 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 verse really was crazy. Uh, let's go to the next one. Genesis thirty one thirty seven. Uh let's see here. Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found in all thy household stuff? Stuff. Mm. Luke seventeen thirty one. In that day, he shall he which shall come upon the housetop in his stuff in the house, let him not come back down to take it away. He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. My listener wrote a comment about this, and he said, long-time listener, he said, oh yeah, Luke 17.31, the one I just quoted, his stuff? This is the KJV? This is the KJV, not the urban version. <laughs> Thee and thou and shall, not stuff. 
Again, I have had my Bible since first grade. Now it reads his stuff. He's had his Bible way longer than I have. I didn't get saved until 24. My buddy Greg, who, this is who it's from, who we, we, we go out and we've, Greg and I have went out and like the last thing we did is we prayed over the, uh, the devil's stomping ground here in North, North Carolina. And um, this is who's giving me this comment. I do see some of it as just a company. I I do see some of it as just a company changing a book or a name. But when we get the old DVD they have owned for years, now he's he's changing the subject here. When we get an old DVD they have owned for years, and now it's changed like mirror mirror on the wall to now magic mirror on the wall. Something very strange is going on, meaning Snow White that line that we went over. And who can forget Darth Vader's famous quote, "Luke, I am your father." Now it's "No, I am your father." Just strange craziness of these end times we're living in i've had my bible since first grade many years ago i read wineskins and it has always brought back memories of climbing the sand dunes at kitty hawk north carolina with my family on vacation because my dad had a wineskin from the navy that we drank out of see that's how people are connecting things like maybe something from your childhood his dad had a wineskin that they would use from the navy and he can remember climbing the sand dunes at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And that, that reverberated and connected him to the wineskin part of the Bible. That's why for some people, these memories are much stronger. Because they had this unbelievable connection with certain things the Bible said in their own life. So, let's go further. Isaiah 32.8 But the liberal deviseth liberal things. And by liberal things shall he stand. What? Liberal? The word noble was actually taken out of this verse and replaced with liberal. Let's, let's read it with noble in it. But the noble deviseth noble things. And by noble things shall he stand. When you say liberal, obviously, I mean, that makes no real sense at all. Because you're going to stand by noble things. Liberal things are going to crumble. Noble things will stand. Next verse, Ezekiel 27, 28. The suburbs shall shake at the sound of thy cry of thy pilots. Pilots? What? The suburbs? <laughs> what is going on? Okay, now, here... What you can do with these words is you can look them up. There's, it's called et, et, etymyonline.com. It's the etymology of a, different, of a particular word. Okay, The word pilot first appeared in the 1500s. One who steers a ship okay, from the Middle French piloti, from the Italian, Italian paletto, supposed to be an alternation of the old Italian pedito, which usually is said to be medieval Greek. Um, it goes into all the, uh, and then it goes on to say the, also is the sense extended in 1848 to one who controls a balloon because they didn't have planes. And in 1907, one who flies an airplane, that's our modern day usage. But I mean, it didn't even, this word wasn't even in use until the 1500, 1500s in 1510. And it was in, in, they called one who steers a ship, a pilot. Well, we're dealing with a verse that occurred in the Old Testament long before the word pilot ever was ever used. Okay, I just copied and pasted that in there because honestly, pilots had slipped by me the first time I saw this. I was just concentrating on suburbs. So, okay, so we've got pilots. The suburbs shall shake at the sound of the cry of thy pilots. <laughs> what? Really? Suburbs? I mean, Ezekiel 27, 28. We're talking Old Testament here. Now, now the word suburbs is used many times as well in the Bible. The origin of the word of suburbs came in the 1350s to the 1400s of Middle English. The English word is derived from the Old French suburbi, which is in turn derived from the Latin suburbium, formed... Um, it goes into all this etymology. The first recorded usage of the term in English was made by John Wycliffe in 
1880, well after the original Bible texts were penned. Okay, I mean, I'm talking the Old Testament was already a done deal. Okay, which this is all Old Testament. The Hebrew Masoretic text, the, the, the uncorrupted, underlined part of the King James Bible. And so that's what would be applicable here. The, the, the New Testament wouldn't be applicable because the Old Testament was already written. It was, it was written in stone, essentially, you know? So this makes no sense. Suburbs and pilots makes no sense to me. Sure, certainly does not ring true. And you don't even get into the, so you don't even get into the, the usage of the term in English until so far after both the Old and the New Testament, the underlying Greek and Hebrew, and let's say Aramaic, are totally a done deal. And I'm talking the uncorrupted. Hebrew Masoretic text and the Textus Receptus, the Byzantine text, the majority text of, of the Greek and the Aramaic. Okay, so that's already a done deal. So we don't even see the first usage of the term suburb until 1380 by john wycliffe and we don't see the term the first usage of the of the term pilots until the 1510s defined as one who steers a ship okay so that's that's pretty pretty wacky second chronicles 34 22 and hilkiah and they that the king had appointed went to hulda the prophetess the wife of shalom the son of tikavah and the son of Hashrah, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college. Was it like a community college? Or is it like a public university? In the college? This is Old Testament. And they spake to her of that effect. The scripture used to read the second quarter, not the college. Luke 1923 wherefore thou gavest not thou my money into the bank so this is supposedly the words of jesus wherefore then thou gavest not thou my money unto the bank that my coming that at my coming i might require mine own with usury which is interest essentially the switched word here is bank it used to be money changers the word bank is commonly regarded as derived from the Italian word banco, a bench. The Jews in Lombardy having benches in the marketplace for the exchange of money and bills. Benches were used as makeshift desks or exchange counters during the Renaissance. So the first time we hear the word, the usage of bank, was during the Renaissance of the 14th to 17th century. <coughs> by Jewish Florentine bankers who used to make their transactions atop desks covered by green tablecloths. All of this is referenced when I'm reading you. This is the original history of these words. I went and looked all of this up. He didn't even have this in here, in the original article. I looked all this up to further bolster what we're talking about here. When a banker failed, his bench was broken by the populace. Meaning, okay, if a banker went like corrupt or ran out of money or whatever the jewish banker well when that happened his bench was broken by the populace and from this circumstance we have our word bankrupt which is when they would destroy the banker's bench that's where we get the word bankrupt from because he'd run out of money he's bankrupt and they probably destroyed him as well <laughs> brother probably a, a, this is this is the original word where we get so when you have a word that didn't even its first usage didn't appear until the 14th to 17th centuries how could that be and, and the bible was already a done deal after the apostles had penned it fully fully written it i mean i, I would imagine the last of the of that would be john on the island of island of patmos when he wrote revelation and he was an old man but we're talking first century a.d he didn't even know of the word of bank and then at bare minimum, 14th century, the first usage of the word bank comes about. How could that be in the Bible? And that's the case for all these words I'm talking about. I, and the Bible says, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be reasonable here. It doesn't add up at all. And it doesn't sound right either. 
in the, especially in the King James. It's one thing if it was an NIV, I'd, anything goes. A living translation? I mean, they're cussing in that version. <coughs> but not the KJV. Nehemiah 5.3. Some also there, also there were, some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards and houses that we might buy corn. <laughs> There's corn again. Because of the dearth. Even though they didn't even have corn in the Middle East. Particularly in the Old Testament. We didn't even discover corn until 1492. When Columbus sailed the seas blue or whatever that was. He sailed the oceans blue. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. His three ships. Okay, but now we got to go back to Nehemiah way, 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 way before the new world was ever discovered. Old Testament, and they're mortgaging their lands and vineyards and how did they go to the bank to do the mortgage? That we might buy corn because of the dearth, meaning like the famine. Okay, so where do we get the word mortgage from? Now, I've told you before, I've done whole studies on this, that the word mortgage means death contract, essentially. Mort like mortician, mortality, death. That's what it means. Gage means contract. But the original usage of the word mortgage didn't occur to the 14th century. So again, regarding what I just have stated above, how could it be in the, in the, in the New Testament or the Old? And it's in the Old. Which makes it even more improbable. Late 14th century was its first usage. It was the word was more more gage, conveyance of property as a security for a loan or an agreement from the old French mortgage of the 13th century. Literally meant dead pledge. There's the source for it. I give you the etymology online um, source. First Corinthians 16:15. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, you know that the house of Stephanus that it is the first fruits of Acacia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Addicted themselves? What? Addicted used to be the word devoted, which would make sense. Addicted means, does not, that sounds so wrong and so weird and so out of context. You know, you think of a drug addict. But when you use the word devoted, they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That makes sense. Next one, Luke 5, 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching, meaning Jesus, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was to present, present to heal them. Doctors used to be teachers, meaning teachers of the law. Doctors of the law? You mean like PhDs? Again, it makes no sense. Luke 13, 32. And he said unto them, Jesus, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils and do cures today and tomorrow. Those words are, are separated, not today and tomorrow, like we normally use them. They're separated now. T-O space day and to space morrow and the third day i shall be perfected the original wording here was healings i do healings today like the gift of healing not the gift of curing also the words today and tomorrow should not have a space between them next one leviticus 2 7 and if thy oblation be a meat offering bacon in the frying pan I'm not making this up. And if the oblation be a meat offering, bacon in the frying pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. Mm. You will notice in the new changed verse that if you read it out loud, it sounds like they're saying bacon in the frying pan. Like I got some bacon in the frying pan. Of course, bacon is not kosher and not something a priest would accept as an oblation or offering. Good point. And in Leviticus 7, 9, and all the meat offering that is bacon in the oven 
and all that is dressed in the frying pan, and the pan shall be the priest that offereth it. I don't remember frying pan at all, I'm sorry. Frying pan in the Bible? In the Old Testament? Was it Teflon? Was it Corningware? I mean, no, it's a frying pan. I mean, it, come on! I'm not making fun of the Word of God, I'm making fun of these obscene changes. The frying pan? Bacon in the frying pan, he'd be even better. I mean, really? Genesis 3, 7, regarding Adam and Eve. And the eyes of them were, were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Aprons? I thought they just made themselves coverings. Yeah, that was what the word was originally, coverings. Yeah, I mean, they made an apron. Really? Yep. That's what it says now. Aprons. An apron of fig leaves. Not the quite the way I remember it. I don't know about you you all. Second Chronicles 7 3. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. And worshiped and praised the Lord. Upon the pavement? Where's the origin of the word pavement? It wasn't even used until the mid-13th century. From the old French word pavement, rob, roadway, pathway, or paving stone, and directly from the Latin word pavimentium, which meant hard floor level surface or beaten firm. But this wasn't even used until the mid-13th century, this word. The Bible was already set at that point. The underlying Greek and Hebrew was already set. So again, from that standpoint alone, it makes no sense. Going further, Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. What? For we are also his offering. Here Paul is introducing the biblical God to the Greeks at Mars Hill in Athens. He is speaking about God. The words him and his in this passage should be capitalized. True. But that's not really the, the, the main thing about it. Poets should be prophets. Meaning, it says, as certain of your prophets have said. Not poets. These demonic Mandela effect or quantum effect changes in scripture are very sloppy and would never have been allowed by the master editors of the King James Bible. Yeah, great point. Next one. Psalm 72, verse 6. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. The mown grass? Like a lawnmower? They didn't have lawnmowers back then. In order to have mown grass, you have to mow it with the some type of lawnmower. Psalm 29, 129, verse 7, Wherewith the mower filleth not his hand, nor he that bindeth sheaves his bosom. So when it talks about sheaves and mower, we're talking about the chopping of something down, but, we're but it says wherewith the mower filleth not his hand. Mower, what is the etymology? The first use of this word was early 14th century. In a mechanical sense, it is from 1852 where we talk, where we first start hearing the word, usage of the word lawnmower. In 1853, is a type of machine to cut down grass from lawn from the lawn, originally published by the hand or drawn by horses, later powered by a motor. But it, even the first use of the word mower wasn't even until the 14th century. How could you have mown grass without a mower? Again, it, I'm sorry, but it, it doesn't add up to me. Isaiah 23.3 And by great waters the seed of Sior, the harvest of the river, is her revenue. And she is a mart of nations. A mart? A mart? Like Walmart? 
What do, you, what do you mean? A mart of nations. Revenue used to be wealth. Okay? Yeah, revenue doesn't ring true either. And mart used to be merchant. So let's read it the way it should be. And by the great waters of the seed of Shire, the harvest of the river is her wealth. And she is a merchant of, of nations. That makes sense. The other doesn't make sense at all. The origin of mart is market or gathering for buying and selling. It was first used in the mid-15th century. That word. From the Middle Dutch market and from the Latin mercatus or trade. Leviticus 11.35 And everything whereupon any part of their carcass falleth shall be unclean, whether it be oven or ranges for pots, they shall be broken down, for they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. This verse has been rendered ridiculous, and there certainly were no such things as ranges over 3,000 years ago. I mean, like a radar range, or what are we talking about here? Strong says it's translated um, from Strong's H3600 in the following manner, ranges for pots. It's only used one time, but its biblical uses is a stove, a range, or a cooking furnace. I don't remember that. Sorry. Ranges for pots. Hmm. Okay. Matthew 25, 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Remember that? Okay. So there we have our first witness. Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So when we do kind things... To our brethren, it's like you're doing it to Jesus. You, that concept's always been very ingrained into my mind. You know, once I became a Christian, once I read these verses. Um, okay, here's another confirmation of that. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, in my name, Jesus' name, okay, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. It's the same concept, okay? But you do it in Jesus' name. But then we have Matthew 10.42. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, which is, this is this verse is like an amalgamation of Mark 9.41 and Matthew 25.40 that I just read. I'll, re I'll start again. And whosoever shall give a a drink under these little ones, a cup of cold water, only, only in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. What? That makes no sense now because it's contradicting the other, the concept of the other two verses. You do it in the name, you give a cup of water in the name of Jesus. And when you do that, you've done it unto Jesus. But this is saying, who shall give a, a give to drink unto these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple. It doesn't say in the name of Jesus and in the name of a disciple. Okay? No, it says only in the name of a disciple. Are we now worshiping the disciples like the Catholics do, where we pray to mark and saint john and we they have their own little medallions and stuff like that because that's what it's that's what it smacks of to me so now it's saying that if you give a drink under these little ones a cup of water you better only do it in the name of a disciple so here i go and i see a little child and i give him a cup of cold water here i give this to you in the name of saint luke here i give this to you in the name of saint john only in that way shall I in no wise lose my reward. Because it says, you got to do it only in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. What if you don't do it in the, in the name of a disciple now? Well, then you're going to lose your reward. But hold on, the other two verses contradict that. For whosoever shall give a cup of water to drink in my name, Jesus... Because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And then it 
Matthew 10.42, which I just read, totally contradicts that. Now you got to do it only in the name of a disciple. Nobody's going to be able to explain that away to me. Because it's a clear contradiction. And God is not the author of confusion. Therefore, we know these Mandela things are straight from the pit of hell. And this is the beginning of the famine of the words of God, is what it looks like to me. Uh, the KJV translates the word disciple and from Strong's word G3101 and the biblical outline of usage is a learner, a pupil, or a disciple. But it's not Jesus. That makes no sense whatsoever. Now. So our Bibles are under attack. Not only do we have the man-made Bible perversions, but also the satanic Mandela effect of scripture changes now. Yeah, is it the the... The New Age Bible versions weren't bad enough. Now we got this to contend with. We have a real problem and a growing famine for God's true word in the land. Many will be deceived because they love not the truth. Surely this is the truth, and now it is an acceptable time of salvation if you are not saved yet. All right, so I'm over time now. I'm going to go ahead and just, um, I'm going to go to the next part. God bless you, and we will see you in part eight.